Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, it's me, your barista. You know how you come in almost every day for our cold foam coffee? Well, now there's an easy way to foam at home with new International Delight Cold Foam Creamer. And it's foaming delicious. New International Delight Cold Foam Creamer. Now in stores. It's foaming delicious. All right, guys. Welcome to a special a special edition, a little crossover episode, um, Sports Grid Fantasy Football and Spike Week. Talking a little best ball earlier this summer, I was blessed with the honor of going on the take cast with Davis. And we kind of like, it was almost like that was like the very beginning of the best ball season, right? We kind of like went over the basics, like, you know, it's super simple stuff, stacking, how to manage your portfolio, some player takes, all that good stuff. And I feel like the world has been flipped on its head in this in this space over the last two months. I guess it's probably been that long, two months or so. So we got to do a, a, a refresher course and talk about kind of how where everything stands today. So uh, pumped, pumped to, to talk to Davis, to, to Davis again here this this morning. Yeah, I mean, we did that show before everyone lost their minds. Like when, when we did that. <laughs> When we did that show, drafting on DraftKings and on drafters was a little bit softer than drafting on underdog. Like the people on underdog were better and you were not, you were getting let, you know, Josh Jacobs was not going in the third round. Like you know, he goes in the third round on DK or whatever. But since then, I mean, the, I still feel like the teams I'm drafting on underdog are good, but I certainly don't feel like they were as good as the teams I was drafting in best ball mania, you know, two, two months ago. Like, the first puppy, like, I don't know what, maybe the first four or five days, it was yeah. fine. Like, the ADP was good. But, I mean, like, <laughs> look, if you want Jerry Judy now, you better take him at, like, the 5-3 because he's probably going to be gone. <laughs> it's it, it really it really is crazy. And I think the your point about, like, DraftKings and, and drafters, and I get I haven't done any FFPC, but uh, people like Leone tell me that's still fairly, fairly similar. Some of the other, like, I guess, I don't mean to call them secondary platforms, but I feel fairly confident to say that underdog is kind of the most popular at the moment. The other spaces, you can still do a lot of the same shit we were talking about back then, right? Like I've actually been hammering a lot of the DK drafts, at least over the last, it definitely a little bit more over the last week, but they dropped a $5 contest yesterday, um, which is also 150 max, you know, kind of their puppy. And I've been hammering that as opposed to underdog. And it's like, I mean, like you said, if you want Jerry Judy, like you're getting Jerry Judy in the seventh, maybe even like crazily sometimes the eighth on DraftKings. You know, Will Fuller goes at pick like 115 on on DraftKings. And this dude, like if you want Will Fuller, it's like a six, seven turn on underdog. Am I am I taking Will Fuller here? So like that has that has changed, but it's almost created like like these are different games now. These are not this isn't even the same game. So the strategy, you know, you can't just be like, you know, we have the, the ship chasing shit where it's like, oh, I better hammer wide receiver like crazy. That doesn't really that, that's not the same thing. You, you might actually want to to take an, an early running back or an early quarterback or an early tight, you know, because the DraftKings rooms and the drafters rooms are just so wildly different from underdog. Yeah, I mean, I I hammered. Um, so after the first puppy closed, I hammered fifty drafts out on drafters. Um, 
you know, I, I like their platform. I like Zach, the guy who runs it. Like, uh, I, I actually, I love the cumulative season scoring yeah. where, where the champion is just after 17 weeks, because that really makes it a different game. People don't, people don't process it that way. They basically play the two games the same way, yep. but the, the cumulative 17 week scoring, like, uh, I, I have gotten pushed back to this idea. Uh, our, our friend Beers, uh, Beers Water, you guys can follow him. He was like, stacking in this format is bad. You, you should not stack in this format. And I thought the exact opposite in that cumulative format because all of your spike weeks end up counting in the end. You know, in, in underdog, you could have your, uh, your Justin Fields, Cole Komet stack. And Cole Komet might score three touchdowns in week eight, and that'll be really good for you. Uh, but it doesn't do anything for you if you make the championship round. If, if Justin Fields gets owned in week 17 and Cole Komet has one catch for eight yards, like you're just kind of busto. So I, I actually, like if I was to design a best ball site, I think I, oh, I probably would offer both. Like I love the yeah. idea of offering both like a, a cumulative and a playoff. But I, I, I think for playing, it, it's more straightforward in the cumulative. It's literally just take guys you like. Like, and, and that's kind of it. Like, uh, you, you can even be a little bit more of a, a value-based drafter in that <laughs> format as well, I think, because the, uh, the combinatorics of how it plays out over the playoff weeks matter a little bit less. But, uh, I mean, it's good. it's good to draft on underdog, draft on DraftKings, draft on drafters to get your exposures different because my, my exposures on DK are going to – not that there's a tool. Jordan, Jordan Bloom, if you're listening – <laughs> get it, get it in work, buddy. We need our exposures. We yeah. need it for the screenshot. But my teams are going to look so much different on those because, like, I I will just be take like I I do a lot more zero like true zero RB teams on underdog now. Like start like mm-hmm. Devonte Adams, Calvin Ridley, or whatever because you you get behind at wide receiver so fast. Yeah, that's that's that was the like people really struggled with you know when we had the 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 wide receiver shift there what again like a month ago or something like that on underdog like. People panicked because we've never, ever in the history of fantasy football, nonetheless in best ball, like, first of all, we never had these like contests, but underdogs still barely knew. And it's the first time we've had a, you know, Millie maker best ball tournament. So like that right. was already difficult for people. And then you take, a, a, you know, an ADP in a player pool environment that no one literally like we haven't even experienced it before. And people are like, well, you idiots are all taking these wide receivers. I'm just going to smash these running backs, you know, because I'm getting you know, like, like I got to stop the Josh Jacobs thing. People get so goddamn triggered on the internet when you make fun of Josh Jacobs. But babe, David Montgomery, you got David Montgomery in the sixth round, like a uh, round and a half after ADP. Congratulations. You're you're still buried. Like you just buried yourself, you know? So people were really struggling with how to how to process that that thing. And to your point, it, it, what seemed to me the clearest path was like, well, I'm still going to win wide receiver. Like I'm just going to, everybody's struggling with wide receiver, now still win it. And then I'm getting right all these amazing zero RB guys, and now we've ruined AJ Dillon for everyone. AJ Dillon is no longer a value. Yeah, AJ, Dill- AJ Dillon is still a value in the eighth, I think. On, honest I, to God. I, yeah, I, I mean he's really not that different from like Kareem Hunt. Like if you want to say Kareem Hunt is better than him, that's fine. I I probably agree. But like total archetype t- setting aside what we think about players and offenses, whatever, he's really not that different from from uh, uh, Kareem Hunt. And so anyway, like you know, those guys would fall too, right? It wasn't just David Montgomery falling and Josh Jacobs falling and Chris Carson falling. It was also AJ Dillon was falling. Even Tony Pollard, you know, we love Tony Pollard. Tony Pollard would fall because everybody just felt that, 
pressure on the wide receivers. And so the best way to take advantage of that was like you said, well, I'm just going to take Devontae and Ridley, you know, and CD and, and, you know, all these early guys and still have the best wide receivers in the league. And I'm going to get really good value, you know, picks at, at, at running back on these other platforms. I feel like, you know, this, this poser, but like, I feel so confident in the wide receivers that I can get through like 15 rounds. <laughs> like literally Rondale Moore goes at pick 150 on draft on, on, on DraftKings. It's absolutely egregious. And so knowing that I am willing to detour for the running back that I like, whether it, you know, Gibson, CEH, even if it's a first round guy that if you like somebody that I maybe don't like, or you like Swift, right? Like you like whoever taking that detour, you don't get locked out of, of, you don't get locked out of any position, but you definitely don't get locked out of wide receiver on those. And I don't think even like, you know, I'm, I'm a lot more zero RB hero RB leaning type person, but like, even I can understand, like, I'm still trying to win a million dollars. And we still know that, you know, if you hit on that elite running back, that's really important. It's just that on underdog, that's a very different conversation than on like DraftKings and drafters. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's, that's very true. Um, you know, I like, uh, and I, I've been thinking about this idea. So obviously a lot of what we are doing is, uh, you know, a lot of what we are doing is based off of what was successful last year, right? Because Herzig's team, and it is like, it's literally the worst logic ever. I love Justin. Justin is a great dude. He does good work. His team was very smartly constructed, right? the four running backs got the, you know, the Kamara and everything. I am very curious what happens to win rates when we look at them next year, specifically on underdog, because ADP has never been close to this efficient in terms of how points are actually scored. And so it is not going to surprise me at all. If David Montgomery, Josh Jacobs, uh, JK Dobbins, Deandre Swift, uh, Miles Gaskin, even right. Kareem hunt. It's not going to surprise me at all. If those players have really big advance rates, because the teams that get good wide receivers with those guys are going to be yeah. turbocharged. Like if, if, yep. if, um, like if Terrace Marshall ends up scoring like nine touchdowns or something and Josh, you know, it, or, or if there's like a couple late round wide receivers who really break out and you're, you know, you're pairing them with Jacobs, Montgomery, whatever, because there is no doubt that like Jacobs is going to on, on average score more points than AJ Dillon or Tony mm-hmm. Pollard or whatever, like, like on average. And so I'm extremely curious to see how that ends up working out. Cause I, I do actually think, you know, your DJ Moore's, your CD lambs, your Godwins. I mean, there's a chance that like CD lamb, because we memed him into the second round might have like <laughs> a, like he could, he could have a good season, like a thousand yards, eight touchdowns and have like a, uh, like a 4% or 5% win rate just because of how expensive he ended up getting. Yeah. And I think I've been kind of pushing this train and right. I get pushed back from the people because we have one year, like you said, to work off of and, and people are you like, people want that tangible thing to, to latch onto, to drive their decisions. Right. The issue is that we do only have that, that one reference point of last year in football, especially like maybe if we were talking about baseball, where at least we get 162 games and there's more positions and blah, 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 we might be able to glean a little bit more something from it. But even then we're still working on, people will say like, no, we have a sample size of, you know, 100,000 or whatever. No, we have a sample size of one, one season. It's one contest. I know that it plays out over a longer, you know, than, than a DFS slate, but it's still, it's one, we have a sample size of one. And so drawing too many conclusions from that is, is, can, can be an issue. 
I believe like passionately that what Herzig did last year was genius. It was, he was doing what we're all talking about doing right now, manipulating the, where the market was inefficient. He knew that I can get, and, and the running backs he was getting were better too, right? Like the, we didn't have, you know, uh, this, this, this dead zone idea, but he was getting, you know, he, I forget what his exact team was, but anyway, he gets multiple workhorses. He paired them actually with Pollard. That's the other thing that people forget. Like they really want to reference this winning team. He didn't go RB, 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 RB on, on that team. He actually took Travis Kelsey in the, in the, in the second round. And his fourth running back was Tony Pollard who actually also like people also reference KJ. Oh, KJ Hamler got him there or Kendrick Bourne got him there. So did Tony Pollard because Tony, when Zeke missed that one game, Tony Pollard scored 30 fantasy points, you know, so he actually implemented a strategy more similar to what I think is, is more optimal this year. And even still that, like you said, the market is so wildly different from what it was last year. And we see this in like, we've seen this in DFS. DFS has been along, around for a long time. What people do and what won previously doesn't necessarily equate to what we should be doing in the future and what is optimal. Your point on CeeDee Lamb is perfect. I want to target those guys that I think can pay me off in such a way. If CeeDee Lamb really has the season that we believe that CeeDee Lamb can have, you needed him. Point blank, period, full stop. You needed CeeDee right. Lamb, right? And and will that happen? I have no idea. It probably not. It's probably not going to happen. And if it doesn't happen, to your point, we're going to look back and be like, CeeDee Lamb was a terrible pick. He had a 4% win rate. You know, why would we take him? And then people are going to take running backs there again. But that actually defeats the purpose because you should still be targeting players like that, even though he didn't work, right? It's like fading a, a chalky player that you think is a minus EV play at his ownership in DFS. He can hit and you still yeah, could have been right. Malcolm Brown that one week when he yes. was like 60% owned or whatever, but he got hurt and sucked. And so people are like, yeah, he was a bad play. But it's like, yeah, I don't know. It, I, I do feel like we are like, it's really not going to surprise me if hyper fragile teams do pretty bad um, this, yeah. this year. There are a lot there. I mean, obviously, there are a lot of ways that hyper fragile teams can go bad. It's it's literally in the name. But I, <laughs> you know, I, I and I, I fought it at first and was still taking five and six running backs a lot. And then I was just like, all right, whatever. I'm just going to do this. Do the four running back teams. And like. You know, it still does make sense. Uh, another reason why I like the 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 DK and the drafters ones is the extra two picks and, oh, and yeah. the big dog. The big dog, by the way, the extra two picks is really key because I love doing three quarterbacks or three tight ends. So like mm -hmm. if I, you know, the first quarterback I take is Trey Lance. You know, I, I'd love to take like Taysom or Jared Goff in the last round or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's much easier to do that with the 20 round drafts. I actually feel like 20 is, is optimal. I feel like 18 is a little bit constraining. And I wonder if underdog would think about changing out in the future, or if they're just really wedded to the 18 round structure, which like, I don't have a problem with. It's not like I'm like, this is an unplayable game, but mm -hmm. I do feel like the texture of the 20 round drafts is just a little bit better. And I think a lot of the stuff we talk about all off season, like what won last year or, or, you know, just different strategies in the eight, like you have to be so perfect in the 18, like people don't, I don't think people even appreciate what you said, how stark those extra two picks are only 18, only 18 players. Like even like, again, referencing Herzig's team, he had busts, he had guys get hurt. Right. He had guys miss games. He had Tony Pollard getting him zero points throughout the, you know, throughout the year. You have to be able to weather that. And in 18 with only 18 players, 
you are really constrained to, you know, every, even those 18 round picks, like that, that's where people are like, oh, it's just an 18th round guy. I'm just going to toss on whoever, or why does it really matter if I took that sixth running back? It's like, I don't think you realize how important all of those picks really are in, in 18 versus 20. I think it gives you more flexibility to do three quarterbacks, to do three tight ends, to do yeah, full out zero RB. It really is helpful with those extra picks because yeah, I don't, I don't really think Samaj P Ryan is going to hit either or you so know whatever, but I can toss you, you them off. You just made a great point, which is as the wide receiver ADP has gotten so insane that like Deami Brown is like a 14th round pick, <laughs> there are good zero running back guys you can take with your 17th and 18th round picks. And so you can stop at eight wide receivers or even seven wide receivers. If you start mm-hmm. your draft, Devontae Adams, DeAndre Hopkins, Robert Woods, DJ Moore, you do not need to be taking a ninth and 10th wide receiver. Yeah. That's like that's like the equivalent of taking James White when you already have yep. Zeke, Antonio Gibson, and CEH. So, but the, the ADP has become inefficient at the back end, right? Boston Scott, Daryl Williams, Quadre Olison, guys like that who are, I, I think, probably going to score points, who will probably mm-hmm. like be guys who get picked up in you know regular 12-team leagues and things like that. And... You can you can get those guys truly at the back end of drafts, which does make those zero RB builds a little bit more enticing. The thing that I don't like about the true zero RB builds, and I think that this is not the prevailing opinion, but I think that if CMC, Cook, and Zeke play 17 games, I mean, I would I would handicap it at like minus 150 that you needed one of those three guys to win because the and Kamara and Kamara as well. I think those four guys have Saquon. I would put Saquon. I would put Saquon in there too. Like if, if, if we knew Saquon was healthy and going to be Saquon, like I I think the, I think that's a very low likelihood to to happen, but like set that aside, like Saquon was, has been a top three pick because we, we know who Saquon is and we know what his role, he has that Dalvin role or whatever. It's just that, you know, we don't think that that's going to happen. But if it were, I would lump him in there too. So there's even more to your point, really. Yeah, like the like the ship chasing guys, like they will like make fun of. Me. Like I'm actually I'm actually talking to Leone right now, and he was making fun of me for a draft we're in together. I just took Zeke over Diggs, over Adams, over Hill, over Kelsey, and to me that's literally a no brainer. Zeke Zeke plays 17 games. You are extremely like tony pollard can get 120 touches and zeke can still score 20 touchdowns or whatever Mm -hmm. and i think kamara is good i I actually think that kamara is going to get the most touches of his career this year because i don't really see another avenue to them winning games the cook (laughs) stuff is obvious the cmc stuff is obvious those guys have so many more opportunities to generate fantasy points than every other player the other thing um it's funny that you bring up leone with the the zeke example because i i I'm actually higher on Zeke, I think, than, you know, like all these other wide receiver folks. And I think we're really latching on to not only what happened last year, but like Zeke hasn't done it before type type of thing. I, I hear that. Well, he he has, but he has, but it was before we were really playing best ball like this. Right. And in best ball specifically, like I mentioned the, the Leone, because of like the, the idea of hyper fragile isn't even just that you guaranteed yourself you found the league winner right there is inherent value in zeke being good like obviously he can't bust but that's just like this is this is leone this is leone's big point that people tend to not take into account is that even there's just value in grinding out 17 points per week and not getting injured uh, especially yep. in terms of advancing 
Yeah. And then when you talk about now, maybe in, on drafters, we might be having a little bit different discussion because to your point, if CMC and Dalvin stay healthy or, or if, or Kamara has the, that legendary ceiling, Zeke problem, Zeke might not be able to, to match that. He might fall more into that next tier, but you know, and, and when, and that matters when you need this cumulative scoring, like you, you need to have the best team, <laughs> the highest scoring team across 10,000, it's 10,000 teams or something like that. So losing points to the CMC teams might hurt you a little more there. You on, on underdog and on DraftKings, you just need to advance. And so those bankable points, even if he's not the, the RB one or the RB two, maybe he's the RB five where he, where he gets drafted, right? Maybe he's the RB five. Like having that can be valuable. And then you just need to run hot in the playoffs, right? Maybe he just keeps you, you doing that 17. Rookie year, rookie year, AJ Brown, or, uh, you know, Z- Daryl Henderson gets hurt and Xavier Jones, you know, totally takes over the Rams backfield starting in week 10 or something yep. like that. Like there, um, cause another thing too, is like, I, I think there is a lot of value just in having teams that advance because like, who knows what happens after that. And so just yep. drafting a lot of teams that are structured to advance probably, I mean, actually not even probably definitely gives you a better median ROI. Like you were going to, you were going to make more money if you're drafting a lot of teams structured to advance. Now you could argue that hurts your high end ROI where like, it's, it's literally just all about winning first place or whatever. Like you could argue that, and this is true in, in DFS too, you know, like it's, it is better to have. Uh, teams that are like drawing totally dead at a median level, right? Like stacking yeah. like five, five, three stacks in baseball or whatever. From a median perspective, those teams are just drawing dead, but they have better first place equity because you're like mm-hmm. not duped. You're playing lots of low owned guys. Um, and and honestly, I haven't even thought through like how much I want to structure my things to just definitely take first place versus just building a lot of teams uh, that I have good with structure. I, honestly, I probably would rather have like you know, 23% of my teams advance, then get like three super teams through, but maybe that's wrong. I don't know. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot about that because like when I, we very first started the summer, I was like, you know, just getting teams through is stupid. It was like the DFS mindset. Your example was perfect. Like when I play DFS, I'm playing for playing for first place, like min caching really does nothing for me. And it definitely does nothing for you in these, in these either. You need awesome. actually posted a good tweet that, um, on DK and the Millie, like you basically still don't even make shit. If you, if, if you win your league, you need, you actually need to advance one more round and then you can actually start to see some real, some real ROI. So I thought that was actually a pretty good example for this discussion, but I also have really started to think through because I actually got a fair bit of pushback because like I was saying, worrying about advancing is, is not the right way to think about it. You should be worrying about how do you get first place? But I actually think uh, the more I've thought about it, the more I've drafted there's an optimal middle ground. And I actually think the people that were like pushing back on me are, we're, we're all actually doing this, doing that. We're trying to find this optimal middle ground, right? That's what hyper fragile is not the, it's not necessarily, some might say it is, but it's not necessarily the best way to advance or maybe not quite the best way to finish first. I, I, it, it has I, a, a, the right combination of both. I feel like. So I don't think it's the right way to advance. I do yeah. think the, I, I actually think probably the optimal way to advance would be, two quarterbacks, six running backs, eight wide receivers, two tight ends, or that is that that's the right math. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think if you just drafted 150 of those teams the same way, Mm -hmm. um, or maybe even, maybe even you add a third to tight end since tight end scoring is, is so flat and you can't guarantee yourself Kelsey Kittle Waller in every draft. Um, 
But I, but those teams, I feel like, are structured the worst to build super teams because yeah. you're gonna you're gonna have a lot of running back scores that never hit your lineup. I, I was thinking about this to myself yesterday. Like, strategy in basketball is as simple as three is worth more than two. So, like a bad <laughs> a bad three point shot is worth more than a uh, a good two point shot, right? Like that's just mm-hmm. math. And like the math of underdog is four is bigger than three and you can start four wide receivers instead of three running backs. And so just having, and like that math, and this would be something for Leone to do like in Python or R or whatever, but like just to show that added value of how much more wide receiver points are worth because you're getting all their good weeks and and obviously none of their bad weeks. Yeah. that And, and that's, that's ultimately what like most of our strategy really is, right? It's and and that's why like looking back at just what won before can be a flawed approach because it doesn't always take into account what is actually the mathematically optimal way to think forward. And so I think in these tournaments, with 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 the nuance of okay, you got to win a twelve team league. I also think people don't understand exactly how hard this fucking thing is going to be. Like <laughs> you win your twelve team league or finish top two seems easy, right? Then finish top two again seems easy right then finish top one and then finish first out of 115 people seems simple right when you just say like oh yeah you don't ever have to win anything that big it's it's not that difficult and then you do you run the math run the actual math on it and you see like i'm why don't i just go buy a scratch off lottery ticket like why am i even why am i even playing this thing and so there with that being said i think that you like you obviously have to advance that's like that's the the ante to the game but there's a way to find this middle ground. And I think it's more of the minutia of, like you said, you know, oh, in the, the two, six or, you know, two, six, seven, and then figure out what to do with your last, you know, two, six, seven, two, and then figure out what to do with that last pick based on, did you get Kelsey or did you get, you know, whatever. I think that that applies to this optimizing for, for the playoffs too. Like I'm not doing anything stupid, you know, like I think I'm maximizing more for first place in most of my teams, but you're not doing anything like outlandish. I haven't like solved world hunger. It's just like, okay, you know, uh, obviously stacking is part of that. Obviously late round. It's a lot more like late round strategy, late round stuff, resource allocation, right? Did you take Dak? Well then don't take Jalen hurts when you took Dak, you know what I mean? Like it's just little, little things like that, that I think are actually where you push that edge and everybody probably agrees, but it's hard to, we've never done this thing before. So it's hard to like actually figure out what the right answer is. Yeah, I mean, I guess probably I'm optimizing a little bit more for advancing because like, so like, say, for example, I have a um, Ezekiel Elliott, Daryl Henderson, AJ Dillon, James Conner start. Like, I would say Leone would be done there. Herzog would be done there. I'm still going to take Daryl Williams, still going to take Giovanni Bernard, still going to take Damian Williams sometimes there as, Mm -hmm. as a fifth. I mean, one, because... I think those guys can provide good, unique scores in the playoffs. But then also something else I've been thinking about is like when you take that extra guy who can get like, you know, 11 points in a given week or whatever, you could set yourself up to differentiate from a lot of the hyper-fragile teams. Because like what happens if, if Zeke is having this crusher year but he just like hurts his knee for like three weeks and he misses for a hyper fragile team. Like you're dusted off. You were like, mm-hmm. it's going to be very hard to overcome that. And, and maybe if the other three guys are breaking out, but we're assuming a lot of the times that running backs are going to have bad games because running backs have bad games all the time. If you, if you have four running backs, you remove one of them. Some of them are having bad games. You're really lowering your ceiling. So kind of having your just get me through guys, I feel like could actually provide 
unique teams in the playoffs because such a huge chunk of the player pool is drafting these hyper fragile teams. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you're if you're Giovanni Bernard, uh, spike weeks, or or you know whatever your Giovanni Bernard thirteen point weeks overlap with like when Alvin Kamara or Zeke or whatever is injured, that's like a unique team to get you into the playoffs. So I that's something I've been kicking around, and you know I don't know how much that would be demonstrable through like you know uh regression analysis or whatever but (laughs) like i i don't know but that's just a thought uh, so i've actually been thinking a little bit again people are gonna i'm gonna get kicked off the wide receiver bus for for some of these things but that's how just my it's also a a product of the player pool and and adps like you talked about when you mentioned the zero rb thing like there's these guys at the back ends of drafts that maybe didn't exist before or just because all the wide receivers got pushed up they're actually a lot better you know value picks later in the draft and so i've been thinking about that and not being so rigid to like i'm being rigid to structure through let's call it like even like 16 rounds like you get to round 17 or 18 you got your quarterbacks you got your tight ends exactly how many running backs and wide receivers you have amongst those guys does it really fucking matter like it doesn't it doesn't really matter and so what I, what I really would rather do is we ran into this on ship chasing when we did a big dog draft and it was obviously a ship chasing room. So wide receivers were apps. I mean, it was absurd when, especially when you get to 20 rounds and we got to like the 20th and I'm like, we're talking about taking wide receivers that, I mean, it, the median is they don't touch the field. We're like trying to dream about ceilings for these guys, but like, I mean, you're, you're drawing so, so, so thin to ever using their score um, and, and it being like a score that you care about. There's one thing for like having a usable week. There's another thing for having a week that like, or a season that like can actually like provide you real tournament upside. So when you get to a certain point in the draft, we were on the ship chasing draft and it was like, dude, are we going to take Tylen Wallace or Tuba Hubbard? <laughs> right. It's like, I know we don't need any more running backs, but at, at a certain point, I just want the guys who can actually have, you know, have the best bet and the biggest payoff if they, if they hit. And so, like you said, if I have four, four running backs and the whole rest of the room did the same thing, and now there's Damian Williams sitting there versus Keelan Cole, it's like, I will take Damian, even though like, you know, the essence of this rigid roster construction tells me that I'm not supposed to do that. I don't think we have to be the that rigid on that either. Yeah. I mean, that's actually a huge argument for running backs later in the draft and having more five or six running back teams or whatever is, your upside case for Donovan Peoples-Jones, for Cedric Wilson, for Colin Johnson, you know, we all we all kind of, you know, we all kind of like some of these guys later in the mm-hmm. drafts or whatever. Uh, but the the upside case for them is like an absurd efficiency run where those guys like Cedric Wilson, like he plays in that Dallas offense, Amari Cooper gets injured in week 14 and Cedric Wilson scores like three touchdowns over the next couple weeks because he he plays in that offense. But like Chuba Hubbard, I mean, if CMC gets injured, he like literally he will be on the winning team. Like you, you would like you'd like lock it in. Or uh Quadre Olson, even Mike Davis gets injured. Quadre Olson probably not a league winner, but it's probably like a I don't know, 14 point per game player, yeah. you you'd imagine something like that. Or Daryl Henderson, you know, Xavier Jones or whatever. Z- mm-hmm. You know, Daryl Henderson gets injured, Xavier Jones. Uh Daryl Williams probably. Like Daryl Williams is more of like a, a Geo James White like get me over the line style player, but 
man, I don't know. Sharkandrick West was like a guy you needed once, and I don't know how much better Daryl Williams. Daryl Williams has scored touchdowns. Like I, I, he's probably like the perfect ar- archetype of guy I struggle with the most because like I've seen these games where I'm like, look, he, they, we obviously know they trust him on pass downs. You know, he's a very clearly not a very good player, but I don't even know that that matters in that in that offense. And sometimes you just get lucky, right? What if he runs into three touchdowns in in week sixteen? It's like you said, like he's on the he's on the winner. Yeah, which is again, you know, another another thing of the combinatorics of the way this tournament works versus a cumulative one yeah. is. Daryl Williams might score 80 PPR points all year, but if 27 <laughs> of them come in week 17, you better have had him, which yeah. uh, which maybe is a reason that win rates and advance rates are kind of like fraudulent looking when we when we think about this tournament. Like, I, I, I mean, obviously you still need the teams to advance. You can't just draft a bunch of bums who have a good week 17. Like they have to score points over the course of the regular season, but... Yeah, it's just uh, the the amount we don't know about best ball is is so big. It's it's like 2013 DFS or whatever, you know. Yeah, exactly, and and I mean, and the perfect example of what you said is like Todd Gurley had an incredible win rate last year, and he was there is no better definition of a guy who was stone dust later later in the year than than Todd Gurley. But for the first six or eight weeks, he actually provided you some really good scores. So when you can bank that at running back and have ten wide receivers, that was really helpful but like that is also the exact opposite of the kind of guy you actually want to draft even though that sounds counterintuitive it's like he helped me get to the playoffs but then he he was the reason you were stone dead he were you were drawing totally dead in the playoffs so like you said we just we just really don't know anything about this and people hate that answer it's like when they're like oh look at these win rates or look at this roster construction historically this build has been really good i'm like we don't know shit about what has been has been really good. And like, I'm not saying I have the answer either, but I'm telling you that what you're, you're thinking isn't necessarily true just because there's a little bit of, of data. It's like BVP in baseball. It's like, I I believe a lot of these things that people are saying in terms of structure to be true. I use them, but we don't know that much. Like we believe a strategy is true, but we don't have actual actionable data to drive, you know, any real decision-making just like BVP. A guy can have five home runs and 10 ABs against a pitcher it doesn't mean he owns him. He, we have no idea what that, what that means. Yeah. We, I mean, we literally, we literally have no clue. Uh, another thing I wanted to talk about was the slow draft versus fast draft dynamic. I, I, I really think these slow drafts are not like if I had to handicap it, like a slow draft winning versus a fast draft winning um, on any site, right. Yep. DK underdog, whatever. I I'd say fast draft is like minus one eighty over a slow draft or something because every fast draft I do some team is on auto or someone is just lost, right? Like t- taking four quarterbacks, taking mm-hmm. a bunch of tight ends, reaching on guys, you know, David Montgomery in the second round. Like, I don't know. I don't know what it is. And maybe it's even more puppy specific than best ball mania specific. I think that's possible. Uh, I, I mean, I haven't done a best ball mania all month because I've been, yep. I've been jamming, I've been jamming in the puppy, but I, my, I just, I really do think that these fast drafts are like, they just offer better value and people are, are not catching up on micro things that they would like, they're not going to clicking on another team and being like, Oh, does this other team have quarterbacks? Like, Oh, I can wait on a quarterback or I, I got to take my quarterback now. And like you, you, I just see way more bad teams in my fast drafts. I, I couldn't possibly agree more. I think there's a, a ton of different variables. And the first one is very clearly what you said that like there's always at least one or two just like stone dead teams 
in fast in 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 a in a fast draft whether it's they're bad or they auto picked or whatever there's always those teams even good players make more mistakes in fast drafts because you only have 30 seconds to pick sometimes you get to, maybe you're doing something right i i like draft when i'm walking the dogs or like you know cleaning up or cooking dinner or whatever and so even i will be like oh shit i'm on the clock i got 8 seconds but i've done enough to where i typically know you know, kind of what I need to do, even when you're panicked under the clock, but not everybody is, you know, not everybody's done. I'm like, I'm closing in on like 500 drafts. Like not everybody has done 500 drafts to have that level of comfort. And so you get all this, this combination of people making mistakes, people are just bad. And I think in slow drafts, it obviously helps the the worst drafters I've seen. So like, if you watch, you know, Overzet or, or Leone did it with best ball mania, he'll go and reg like what, 20, 50, however many slow drafts and a ton of people are doing that. You end up in these, all these same drafts. That's what, that's what everyone, people. that's what everyone has said. My, you know, Anthony Miko, he's the, he's slow draft only. He's like, yeah, I, I go reg for five at a time and I'm literally in the same drafts with the same, like we're doing the same draft from different positions. And I'm like, well, yeah, like no shit, you know, because that's <laughs> what people are doing. And I mean, and, and I just feel like even, even if that wasn't true, even if you were given 11 random opponents, giving someone eight hours to think about their pick, and even if they open it up and they're like panicking, like, oh shit, I forgot about this. I have 30 minutes to make a pick. Like you can go look at the other teams. You can look at your five weeks. Like you can do all these things. Like I I, I would also even guess that the league uh, ROI for a good player would be better. Like even advancing to the first round or to the yep. second round or whatever, your ROI is going to be way better in the fast than the slows. I, I totally agree. And the, the, the point about like looking around at what, what people have around you, that's like something I've just like trained myself to do in fast drafts. I don't even think people do it enough in, in slow drafts because it's like, it's really hard to understand what that edge really is. Like I'm picking 10th and what, what do the 11th and the 12th guys have when we come around to the next turn, right? Do I need, I want Kyle Pitts. Do I need to take Kyle Pitts? at the 10th pick or do I need to, or, or can, you know, they all took Kittle and Waller. Can I, can I wait and push it and then get DJ Moore and Kyle Pitts as opposed to like, you know, Chase Claypool and, and Kyle Pitts, whatever that, that type of, of thing is like actually really valuable. And sometimes it doesn't work. And that's when people like, I posted that on Twitter not that long ago. And people are like, I stopped doing that because I keep getting sniped. I'm like, that's, that's actually probably the reason why you should keep doing it because yes, sometimes it doesn't work out for you, but the times that if you just keep doing it and doing it and doing it, you're going to build more and more super teams and more unique, unique teams. And so, yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're both on the same page and that the slow drafters will not like it, but I, I've been pushing that. Like, I know everybody doesn't have all day to do all these drafts, but as much as you can, I would absolutely be doing, be doing fast drafts. I think the EV is, is a, it's, a, it's a big boost to the EV, I think. I mean, you know, I I don't have kids. I I assume you don't. Have, I assume I assume you don't have kids either. Yeah, yeah no, like that, no that, kids, just dogs. We're we're just yeah, we're just yeah. Dog, I just dog I just have I just have dogs, and my dogs don't give a shit if I'm on my phone. I can go. To, <laughs> right. I can go. I can go take my dogs out in the yard. I can I can throw the ball to them. I can you know give them a scratch with one hand while I'm uh, on my phone with the other hand. Like they don't care. They just want to be outside. So like I honestly, dude, I I do feel like I mean. Uh, like, you know, the family life and everything does cause, so you're like, okay, like whatever, I'll just do the slow drafts. Cause I can go get on my computer. I can get on my phone for five minutes, bang all these picks out. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I've just been trying to structure my day to have time to draft, like, be yep. like, okay, like go do, go do like, 
I wake up in the morning and go to the gym and I register for five drafts and I just knock them out and I just get them done. And then mm-hmm. like, uh, I, I'm literally, I mean, I'm literally in one right now because the puppy two is about, the puppy two is about to close. Like it's yep. about to be done and it's about to be $5 on DK best ball mania and big dog for the rest of the off season. The other thing about the, the fast drafts, I'm glad you brought up like puppy two and, and, and this $5 on, on DK is we know ne- we also never seen like, bunch a bunch of different best ball drafts in very small time pockets of of the off season right the yeah, first puppy filled in a week the first puppy filled in a week so like we didn't have drastic like best ball mania you know we've done this thing right we we did the Tyreek Hill thing we did the we you know we've now done the Darrell Henderson we're we're doing Michael Thomas blah 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 right we we've done the should you take this guy because you know other people have him at, at x value well, you don't have that with the, like, you didn't have that with the puppy. I, not really. I don't think you didn't have that with puppy too. Right. H- Henderson changes. happened Henderson, Henderson happened in, in the middle of the puppy, I think, or maybe so Michael have, Tho- no, Michael Thomas, Michael, Michael Thomas. Thomas happened in the middle of the first puppy. Yeah. Which is, which, you know, is, is brutal if you took Michael Thomas, but at least then it doesn't have like a drastic impact on like, yeah, Marquez Callaway or Tracon or whatever, I guess is a, a value, but like, you're not worried about not having those guys versus like, Henderson, the Henderson I, thing. I just know, I just know for a fact, like a bunch of my CMC teams have Michael Thomas, which is so brutal. Like I just know, I like I, I just know if I went and looked right now, like probably half of my CMC teams have Michael Thomas, which is so annoying. I got super lucky that I was, I've, I've been on like the CD thing, I've been on, um, you know, the Dallas thing, and AJ Brown and Kittle. I was, I have a lot of, you know, CMC Kittle, so that like. I'm a, probably a little too condensed on what like my CMC and Dalvin teams look like, but I got lucky and avoided avoided MT. But but those guys, we, we like best ball mania, you know, is going to run all the way up to to the season, and that's how best ball season has always been. We never had the like puppy two, I, like it launched same thing like doing fast drafts versus slow drafts. I was just hammering as many fast drafts as I could because Daryl Henderson was going in the sixth round, and I thought that was the the most egregious price of any player in in you know best ball but i didn't want to take him in best ball mania too but he was he also happened to be the edge in the puppy right and so like they're like you but you can't do that in a slow draft now he goes in the fourth round or whatever you know sometimes people are are reaching even higher than that and so but you can't take advantage of that in slow drafts you know like if you're if you're not on the clock when the injury news happens like you're just shit out of luck yeah i mean uh i i I actually just for the rest of the off season and anything new that launches the drafters new tournament the DK new tournament, the puppy, two, like I'm just hammering Henderson. Like I, yep. I literally, I think, I think he's going to finish as like a top. I, he has a good, very good chance to be the guy you needed, like an extremely so. good chance. Now, Karain was making the point on ship chasing last night that he thinks he, it might be more like a, he's kind of like a Raheem Mostert where it's like 14 touches a game and he has some good spike games. Cause he is, um, you know, cause he's so fast and everything, but like he and acres are the same size. Like yeah, Henderson's, like, Henderson's like 5'10", 215. Like he's, he's fine. I, 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 I don't really buy that. I think it's just the fact that he's never done it before is, has people scared. And I guess he's, he's been, he's been banged up, but like, I know they drafted acres and I guess maybe that scared people off too, is like they had this guy and they drafted acres, which these are real, these are like legitimate concerns, but like, I don't know if people watched him at Memphis, but the guy was uh, an absolute mutant. They were giving, um, giving dude touch. He kept Antonio Gibson on the bench, bro. He kept Tony Pop. They they had to create new positions within their offense in order to get Antonio Gibson to get Tony J- Pollard. JJ Taylor too. JJ 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 Taylor was actually who ended up taking over like the workhorse running back role 
after him, not even Pollard yeah. or whatever. Right. So um, I, 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 you know, and I, and if I'm wrong, I'm wrong and I'm willing to accept that, but for a running back at his cost, he's like the epitome of like small miss big win. Right. Like I'm, I've been stealing that from, from Gretsch lately. Like that's what we're targeting for. And that typically skews wide receiver, but like, I just don't like, I don't really see, even if, even if he's the Raheem Mostert of the Rams, a, he's going to get more touches than Raheem Mostert, I think. But even if he's that, that's not that like, that's okay. That's not, that's not that bad. But the upside is like, well, we were taking Cam Akers at the one, two turn. Why wouldn't, why wouldn't Henderson become the guy that we thought Cam Akers would be? That's, you know, that's the the, the upside. So yeah, I agree. I mean, I'm just as much as I can, I, I, I got a decent amount in like best ball mania too, but um he's probably just going to be like one of my big, you know, him and Trey Lance basically are, are going to be my stands of the season. Yeah. I had, I had 22% Henderson when the injury happened. I think I probably had some overlaps though. Like I think I probably, cause I was just taking Henderson so much. Like I know yeah. I have, I know I have Zeke Pollard overlaps cause sometimes I'm doing all these drafts and I don't like 11 seconds left on the clock. Tony Pollard's the highest running back. I only have two <laughs> running backs. Oh shit. Yep. I have Zeke, Javante Williams, and Pollard, so I guess that's happening. I I also had this galaxy brain shower thought. What if we swing all the way around? You know that you know that meme of like dumb guy, nerdy guy with glasses, and then like the Jedi, and it's the bell yep. curve. What if it's like I love to handcuff my running backs? Like, <laughs> no, you can't handcuff your running backs. You need to optimize every spot. And then the the far side is actually it makes sense to ha- handcuff and high opportunity, high fantasy point backfields. Like that would be, uh, I mean, that would be hilarious to me. Like, but I I do think there is a chance that like it does kind of end up swinging back around like that. I really I really do because because of the advance rates, this would not make any sense in a cumulative format, right? Because you do yeah. actually need all those points, but in a format where it's about surviving and advancing, what if what if CMC misses week fifteen? Finishes as the number one overall running back, but he just he he got a concussion or whatever, so he couldn't play that game. Like, I don't know. Like, it, it's uh, I I've been spinning my wheels on that one, and I can't I can't tell if it, it's any good or not. It's uh, so these are the awful galaxy brain thoughts that I, that I have, and it, it it ends up like I'll even like post it to Twitter, and people will call you an idiot, right? Like I did I did it with like Naji yesterday. Nobody agrees with me on Naji, and that's okay. But same thing with this. It's like I would like to like. I don't know, like actually have a reasonable conversation about it. Like you brought it up. I don't think it's unreasonable to ask these things that we kind of thought were, were taboo as it relates specifically to this like underdog or DraftKings format that we're talking about, because it is so unique. If, and and so even setting aside, like the CMC got hurt, Chuba ends up and now you just somehow Chuba gets the 30 points, right? You drop him into your lineup because the other people with Chuba didn't advance. Right. That's the other thing. Because yeah, like, he did nothing. Because he did nothing he did, for he was a stone weeks. zero. Right. He was a stone yeah. zero on your team. And he was a stone zero on your team too. But it's just, you know, when you had CMC and you we're assuming you hit elsewhere, and, right? And you you're only you you're only like you have like five good wide receivers or, or yep. some rookies who broke out. So you weren't ever using running back scores in your flex, so it didn't matter for you. Right. Travis Etienne smashed and you had CMC. And so there's, there were your two guys and then you have 10 wide receivers. So, you, you know, it, it did, Chuba was a, a, a useless pick for you, but you ended up needing him in week 15. I at least think that's a conversation that probably needs to be had. And the other thing where I've been leaning just with like my running back takes all, all season. And basically what I'm trying to get out ahead of is more of like an NFL, you know, football take, which is that the workhorse, 
I'm like, we might look back in five years and laugh at what we are like saying about running backs, right? Every day we get a Najee's going to get a hundred percent of the Steelers touches or Joe Mixon's going to play every snap, right? Or, or whatever. We always have these, these takes. And, and I kind of think that that's just like totally going away. All, like look at all the smartest offensive minds in, in the league. Basically none of them use any sort of workhorse. Yeah. They back. play, they play a bunch of different guys. Right now, obviously that when you I mean, even Saquon, even Alvin Kamara is like plays in a 60 40 timeshare with a 33 year old. Yeah, he's one of the best offensive weapons in in the NFL and he can't and he, he can't get Latavius off the field. Thirty five percent, thirty five percent of snaps. Right. And so I think trying to get out ahead of that and being like, OK, you know, I don't know that Tony Pollard is going to have a real role. But what if what if Zeke still is that top five running back? And what if Pollard is actually, they do use him. Maybe they use two backs in the backfield at times. Maybe they do split Pollard out. Maybe, you know, they're just, they are easing off a little bit of Zeke earlier in the year. Maybe they need Zeke late in the year. There's just a lot of different variables that nobody is ever willing to to discuss, you know, not only as it pertains to like handcuffing guys, but just running backs in general, because we haven't seen it yet. Um, that I think are at least like interesting. So I'm glad you brought it up. I, I've, I've been thinking about it, like like, but I don't want to be the guy on Twitter that's like, so guys, so it, we need to talk about handcuffing your running back. <laughs> it would be it would be bad. Like I don't care about anything else. It would be bad with Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon. It's bad with Zeke and Pollard. Uh, you know, it's bad with Trey Sermon and Raheem Moser or whatever the, because of the cost. But the guys where it would make sense would be like Ch and Daryl Williams yeah. uh, because the guy is so free. Joe Mixon and Samaj P. Ryan, uh, Miles Sanders and Boston Scott. If yep. if we have any faith that it would be like the the true 18th round guys now. I'm not saying I'm going to start doing this, but like it is like, I just am thinking about it a little bit. Like it might, it because of the strategy wrinkles and how it would crush other people's rosters with that guy, but just benefit yours, especially in the championship rounds. It is, it is at least kind of interesting. Yeah. But that, well, first of all, it shows you where we're at in the off season, that these are the kind of ridiculous thoughts we definitely that, that it's like it's the the game's got to start dude like we got to start <laughs> yeah. talking about preseason dfs because it's like we have we have uh and we have no new data that's the big thing yeah. is like in dfs you're getting new data every slate but it's just one big slate dude it's just one big exactly 16 or 17 week slate you know okay so let's talk about that before we before we wrap up um we you know we are getting more news every single day that is flowing in through training camps and 99.9% of it is useless, but there is, there are, there's some of it that is like actually probably more useful than we even think. It's just, we don't know how to, we don't know how to balance it. And like the, the, the example that, you know, happened, happened last night was, was Dak. It's like, if we, if, if we know that the second MRI is actually something that's scary, we should be, we should be absolutely plummeting him down our draft boards on the opposite side is if we know that it's nothing he's falling to the sixth and seventh round and we should be smashing him every, every single time. How, how are you? Like, I've been struggling a little bit with like my natural inclination is to be a stubborn. It's just be totally stubborn and be like, you guys are idiots. Why are you reacting? I'm just going to take Dak. But like, how are you kind of approaching that? I've been curious about something like that. So like guys where I think it's like not that big of a deal, like, or, or, or where the payoff is so good that I'm accepting those mm. teams are going to be dead. Like, like Jonathan Taylor, uh, yep. cause I think Jonathan Taylor is that super elite workhorse upside, uh, Dak specifically, the Cowboys players specifically like taking dips on Cowboys players, the, the Bengals guys, remember like the three days where the <laughs> Bengals guys 
Chase and Higgins were going in the fifth instead of the fourth and Burrow was going in like the 12th round because Burrow had a bad practice. Like those are examples of like, oh, okay, I want to get in there. Yeah. Now, like the Eagles, they're all Goddard, Hurts, Sanders. I mean, they're all they're all plummeting, plummeting. and I'm not catching that knife because I'm like, what? Like, I think the head coach is an idiot. I just think they're not going to score any points. And the only way that this experiment works out with Hurts, like the only way a quarterback like Hurts can, can can succeed is when the organization buys in and you do everything yeah. you can to to you know lots of easy throws. You know, you, you let him run. You do like, uh, you know, the the zone reads and everything. And it doesn't sound like they're doing that for him. It actually right. sounds like the opposite. It sounds like they're sticking him in the Joe Flacco offense and being like, "All right, uh, you need to you need to be throwing uh, eighteen yard dimes to Quez Watkins." So, like the Eagles guys, <laughs> the the Eagles guys are an example of guys who I'm not buying. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point. The other thing that you can do, even on teams like that which i haven't drafted hardly hardly any eagles um but you can also kind of leverage that with like okay i'm i don't know for certain exactly how how good they're going to be so i'm going to get a little bit of investment but like travis fulgham goes in the 18th round right boston scott goes in the 18th round uh, if you know if you're Kareen and you can't stop you can't quit zach Ertz, it's like you can still get shares of that team i'm taking the shit out of zach Ertz. zach Ertz, God, you guys Kareen, have a, you guys have no problems. Kareen, Crane made the best point any human being has ever made about fantasy football. And he said that if, if, if 37 year old Larry Fitzgerald, you know, two years ago was eligible at tight end, we'd be taking him in the sixth round. Like what's the difference between TJ Hawkinson's production last year and 34 year old uh, Larry Fitzgerald's like the same thing. And Ertz is just going to do that. Ertz is going to, Ertz is going to catch 60 passes for 600 yards and four touchdowns. And he's going to miss four games with injury, but (laughs) But I mean, he's gonna he's gonna finish like tight end eleven. Uh, he really is. Like it's just yeah. gonna happen. Just be ready for it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. I will. I will. I will say that that's probably fair. I will say I wouldn't be taking him with, uh, you know, if you get any of the board, like the top six, I guess, basically is what I, you know. If you get Andrews down, no, through, he's through even Kelsey. better. He's you even so? better. No, he's even better when you take an elite tight end because you don't need any spike week stuff for him. You yeah. do not it, when you when you have that guy, you like um really if you're taking Kelsey Waller Kittle, you should be waiting to the 18th round probably because yeah. you're just saying like my draft is relying on this guy breaking out. Mm-hmm. Um and you want it to just be a bonus if you ever use the other score, right? So like, oh, I, I yeah. took uh Waller and I took Gerald Everett because I actually think there's a chance that Everett could like break out or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um but he's, but you don't want to spend the 14th round pick on him because you've created a hole in your roster at wide receiver by spending that early of a pick. Yep. So you take Ertz in the 16th, 17th, 18th. I mean, literally, you can still get him in the 18th sometime. And he's just there to give you nine points if Kelsey has a bad week or whatever. That's like, yep. he's even, I, I actually probably want Ertz less in uh like, uh, a three tight end build or like a Noah Fant build or whatever. Cause he's got zero ceiling. He is, he yeah. is 0% to break out. Yeah. Cause you're trying to hit a home run to catch the Kelsey teams as opposed to trying to just, you know, make your Kelsey yeah, and, teams and, like and totally Ertz optimized. Yeah. Ertz cannot hit a home run, but he's going to hit a lot of singles. I think. Yeah, that's 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 fair. I'm borderline disgusted that we talk so much about it's, running it's, backs it's, and now it's Zach bad, dude. Yeah, it's it's so it's so bad because it feels terrible to take him. But like, 
I mean, Zach Ertz right now on underdog. Uh, I'm in a draft right now. He goes as the tight end 25 behind guys like Hooper, Jarwin. I mean, we like Komet, but like, yeah. you know, there's a lot of wish casting on Komet. Like uh, oh, yeah. Ertz, Ertz is a huge favorite over those guys to score more points. Yeah, I think, I think that that's fair. So all right, last thing that I was going to ask you is we talked, like we said, at the very beginning of like of like best ball season and we were talking basic strategy. We had our original player takes and structure and all that all that stuff. What is the number one thing that has changed about your like how it could be anything, a player take or how you're drafting or whatever since when you started to now? Uh more true zero RB teams. I basically I probably did like 75 teams before I started a team without a running back in one of the first two picks. And <laughs> not because not because I think that's optimal. I think it's actually unlikely that a team like that wins, mm-hmm. but I think that it is the only way or one of the only ways to combat the absurdity of what has happened to wide receiver ADP. Uh, because because when you like if you start uh, you know, Ridley Hopkins or whatever to pick your two favorite guys, then you don't have to take Jerry Judy in the fifth round. You don't have to nope. take Henry Ruggs in the eighth round. You can be like, all right, I'm going to pick off Damian Harris here and Javante Williams and AJ Dillon. And I got a lot of, I got a lot of outs. Um, but I, that, that's really the big difference is not being like, well, I guess I'm taking Joe Mixon two, four or whatever. Yeah. My, mine is actually probably the same concept a, li- a little bit different. Everybody talks about structure, every, you know, because it's it's easy to be like, oh, I never drafted a running back or, or zero RB versus robust RB or all, yeah, all, never, all that I've stuff. never drafted a running back. Yeah, literally still as of whatever today is August 12th. The thing that I've like learned the, the most is if you don't understand like the pockets of every draft and and every site has, they're, they're very different. Like we talked about that at the top, the underdog pockets are wildly different from DraftKings, and and then that's even different from drafters. If you don't understand, like, okay, if I don't have X number of wide receivers by X round, I know what's going to happen there, right? Those kinds of things are are more important. Or I know I like X player, right? I've been drafting the ever living shit out of Will Fuller on DraftKings because he goes right. in the tenth, the tenth, you know, it's sometimes eleventh round. It's absolutely absurd. And so I know that I can do that. I know that I can get right. Visca's ADP is almost 90 on DraftKings. These guys are like sixth and seventh round picks on underdog, but I, I need to know that for underdog. And I need to know that for DraftKings because it drives, you know, my, my early decision-making and it drives, you know, my structure or like if I pick eighth on what I'm going to do on underdog might be different than what I'm going to do on, on DraftKings and my structure might be different, right? And all this kind of stuff. And so that's like been my entire focus. I went in, like, I like these players. I like these structures. And so I was just kind of being a robot going going through each draft with what I believe, you know, were the optimal things. And then you you do so many drafts. You're like, God, every time I get to the 12th round, I just hate all, I hate all these dudes. Or like, if I get to the 12th round and I need a wide receiver, like uh, it, it's over. I hate this team, you know? Understanding that has been like, the biggest change in my game for sure. Yeah, I, I think that is, I think that is a good point. I mean, it's uh it's uh it best ball is starting to remind me a lot of, um of poker because it's not about, it's not about the cards. It's about how it's about how you play them and it's about your frequencies and it's about, it's about a lot more than, you know, it's, it's basically, it's just a lot more about, 
how you're doing things than what you're doing, maybe even, if that makes sense. Yep. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, my biggest thing that I always say is people think best ball is fantasy football. You know, it's like the same people that show up on on Sunday mornings and try to play a DraftKings Millie team. They think that it's just, I like this guy this week and, and I'm going to pick my favorite players and I'm going to win. And I think even people that understand a little bit of the structure and the game theory and all that of best ball, even those people haven't quite figured it out yet. So like, you know, uh, uh, the people that us have been grinding <laughs> DraftKings, you know, DFS slates for 10 years, I think have a, right. have a little bit, have a it's, little bit of, of an advantage. It's a, it's a numbers based game. It's a math game based around football, not a football yep. game based around math. And, and, and that's true of like regular fantasy football, but it's even more intensive and true with yeah. best ball because you have only one decision point instead of, 17 decision points throughout the week where you have chances to make up the, your mistakes. Yeah, exactly. So right before we hop off, it appears uh, Rashad Bateman's having surgery. Oh no. So oh, uh, Corain, dude, pour, pour yeah. one out, pour one out for he, Patrick Corain. He's hitching his wagon to Zach Ertz and Rashad Bateman is, uh, is already dust dust for the rookie year. So uh, that's a perfect time to leave it. We can uh, leave Corain. Hang, hanging out to dry, but uh, anything, what, what do you got going on? What, what's, uh, what's coming new for you? Yeah. I mean, we're pretty close. We'll be pretty close to daily podcasts here on the sports grid fantasy football feed. Of course, take cast pumping out uh, on TV every day on sports grid. And, and hopefully you and I will be able to keep churning these out on Thursday mornings, pending my availability, no promises, but I, I hope to be able to be doing these for at least the rest of the off season. Yeah, same. It's about it's about to get crazy. Uh, next week, um, start we're starting every every day streams and and all that that good stuff. Um, and then this afternoon, hopefully we'll get this up before then. But this afternoon, I'm drafting. We do Thursday live draft streams, and and good old Ben Gretch, our buddy Ben Gretch, is coming on with me, and we're going to draft a team so he can get a little bit of equity in a best ball team, even though he can't draft out there in the in the boonies in the hills. You love to see it. You truly do. <laughs> All right, dude. Well, th thanks for joining me. And yeah, hopefully we'll talk again next Thursday. All right, man. See you. See right. everybody soon. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks. Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra. Just perfection and a straw coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.